Hello, I'm Cody Mori, and welcome to Truth Triumphant Radio. Today, I wanted to talk about the Reformers, that's the Protestant Reformers of the Great Reformation in the Middle Ages, and what they taught about, actually in a few others, but what they taught about the harlot of Babylon, or the great whore of Babylon, as it's described in Revelation. So, let's go to, to start off, the reason why we want to talk about this is because I sort of alleviated to this in the last episode. We talked about the kings of the earth and the merchants of the earth in regard to this whole COVID-19 crisis. And I wanted to take the time to reveal the harlot of Babylon or the whore of Babylon, Babylon the Great, Mystery Babylon, all the different verbiage that is used, the great the woman that rides the beast. I wanted to reveal what the reformers and others have taught about this specific subject. And the reason why I want to do this is because this is lost history. And I also want to point out that um, <clears throat> this was really a consensus. Uh, I'm going to give you a few, I'm going to give you a great many quotes here today in regards to this subject. But you got to understand one thing is, is that this is, even the quotes that I'm giving you is not even close uh, to the amount of information that you can find on this from uh, the Middle Ages uh, and around the time of the Reformers. People that weren't Reformers, or, there was a consensus on this understanding of Bible prophecy, and that's where it's grounded. All this stuff is, is grounded not, <clears throat> not on a bigot or, or prejudice or sort of uh, just uh, antipathy. It's based upon Scripture and the Word of God. It's not. It's no small thing to call someone the Antichrist, right? It's it's no small accusation to make. So it's it's not one that you can make. Uh, you know very lightly without having some type of grounding. And what was that grounding for the reformers? It was the word of God. That was one of the hallmarks of the Reformation. For those of you who don't know, the Reformation is really responsible for the free world that we live in today, uh, whether it's, whether it's uh, the right to bear arms, the right to life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, the, the right to property, private property ownership, um, all those, the right, to freedom of conscience, freedom of religion, all those things, that, those are all Protestant principles that were implemented. And they really culminated in the United States when the United States was created. So keeping all of that in mind, let's take a look at Revelation chapter 17. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 5 here. It says, And there came one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, and talked with me, saying unto me, Come hither, I will show unto thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Now, just so you guys know, before we continue on, the great whore that sitteth upon many waters, this is all symbols. So, uh, sitting upon many waters, that means she is in control of a great 
number of people, multitudes, that's what waters are, multitudes, nations, tongues, and people. You can find that in Revelation chapter 17 uh, and verse 10. And it says, with whom the kings of the earth have committed fornication, uh, and the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with the wine of her fornication. Wine specifically is doctrine or knowledge or understanding. So there's false doctrines that are coming out of this power, and it's made the kings, uh, the merchants are in league with them, the kings of the earth are in league with them, as we've talked about with uh, the globalist movement with COVID-19 and the coronavirus, the whole pandemic situation that's going on right now. Um, but wine specifically, and you can find that in Isaiah chapter 28. There's actually a few verses that talks about it, where wine is knowledge and doctrine and understanding. So a false knowledge, a false doctrine, a false understanding would be uh, wine that you could become drunk off of. In other words, you don't, you know, when you're drunk, you don't really know what you're doing. So that's sort of the whole spiel here. So the great whore sits upon a great, there's a great many people that she's in control of. Okay. And she's made the world, the inhabitants of the earth have been made drunk with her doctrine. Okay. And verse three, it says, so he carried me away in the spirit into the wilderness. And I saw a woman sit upon a scarlet colored beast full of the names of blasphemy, having seven heads and 10 horns. And the woman was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand full of the of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon, the great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. So the abominations of the earth can be traced back to this power. She is the mother of harlots. So if there's any other harlots out there, they would be under harlots or, or sometimes they're referred to as the harlot daughters of the, 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 the great mother harlot, which is Babylon the Great. Mystery Babylon, the Antichrist power in the world and has been working in the world today. So... As we begin, let's start with Martin Luther. He's the one who started, well, he didn't start it. It was uh, John Wycliffe and others before him, um, also John Huss. But Luther, eh, the Reformation really took off, and his, his work in his 95 theses, basically 95 um, really grievances against the doctrine of indulgences specifically brought upon him a whirlwind and before you know it there was this whole issue that was going on called the reformation and the authority of the church the roman catholic church versus the authority of scripture now the reformers all taught sola scriptura which means the bible and the bible alone is your final authority they also saw, uh, taught sola gratia, which means grace and grace alone saves you, not by works. Uh, sola fide, saved by faith and faith alone. All right, so I want to start with uh, Martin Luther here. And this is from Martin Luther, First Principles, page 196 and 197. 
nothing else than the kingdom of Babylon and of very Antichrist. For who is the man of sin and the son of perdition, but he who by his teaching and his ordinances increases the sin and perdition of souls in the church? While he yet sits in the church as if he were God, all these conditions have now for many ages been fulfilled by the papal tyranny. By the papal tyranny. Did you hear that, folks? According to Martin Luther, the kingdom of Babylon, Babylon the Great, the mother harlot, is who the Antichrist is, is the papacy or the pope, the head of the Roman Catholic Church. It's not a specific person, but it is a specific office, if you will, a position, the vicar of the Son of God. Now, the pope can be... You can pray to the Pope. You can he can set people free from purgatory. Uh, all he's very involved in world politics even to this day. But especially in Martin Luther's day, I mean, they had a stranglehold, top-down uh, lock on the European powers, and he recognized this as the fulfillment of the Antichrist was in the papacy. And Martin Luther. He was an Augustinian monk. He was a devout Catholic. Actually, pretty much up until the day, it's, 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 it's sort of uh, uh, argued back and forth, but up until the, his very death, his whole idea was to reform the church, thus the name, the Reformation. He wanted to be Catholic. He wanted the Catholic church to basically to, to shake off the the pagan influences that they had, which was like praying to Mary, the veneration of saints, um, and other things, a papal infallibility, which that's actually came about officially in the 1800s, but it was still practiced in his day. Um, he wanted all those things to be shaken off and for the church to get back to the Bible, thus the name, the Reformation. Another quote by Luther, um, and this is taken from... Uh, Merle de Aubigny's History of the Reformation of the 16th Century, Book 6, Chapter 12, page 215. And for those of you who don't know, uh, de Aubigny's uh, History of the Reformation of the 16th Century is a, a, a very, uh, very well-documented book. It's actually a very good book for anyone to read if they want to see uh, a Protestant view of the history of the Reformation. He said this, Luther proved by the revelations of Daniel and St. John, by the epistles of St. Paul, St. Peter, and St. Jude, that the reign of Antichrist predicted and described in the Bible was the papacy. Keep that in mind, folks. Keep that in mind. According to Luther, by the revelations of Daniel, St. John, the epistles of Paul, Peter, Jude, the reign of Antichrist, predicted and described in the Bible, was the papacy. So, the papacy, the, essentially, what we're learning here when we, when we hear that quote is that Luther didn't basically just say the papacy was Antichrist because he didn't like him or because he disagreed with him. He believed that the papacy was the Antichrist because that's what he found in the book of Daniel. 
He found that the papacy fulfilled all the qualifications of the little horn power of Daniel chapter 7. Uh, chapter 8, for instance, Daniel chapter 11 talks about this as well. In Revelation, where it talks about the whore of Babylon, or the beast from the sea, or the woman that rides the beast. Um, the epistles of St. Paul, like 2 Thessalonians, where it talks about the man of sin. St. Peter and Jude, where it all discusses this. John, uh, like 1 John, where it talks about the Antichrist. All those things were fulfilled in the papacy. So this wasn't a belief system that wasn't based upon the Bible. That's important to remember. That's important to remember because we're not taught this today. And the question is, why? Why aren't we taught this? Why don't we know this? Now, if, if this was just based on bigotry and just based on just an unfounded, you know, uh, bad blood, if you will, between the, the quote-unquote Protestants or Lutherans versus uh, the Roman Catholic hierarchy, then, and, and it, it, there was no basis for it whatsoever, why wouldn't we be at least taught that this was something that was widely held and believed? I think the reason is, is that if you begin to study this out yourself, as I have, that you will see that Luther was right. Every single characteristic that you can, we should do a show on this too, uh, but and, and I'm sure we will. But every single characteristic of the papacy um, and or of the Antichrist power in the Bible is fulfilled to a T, folks, to a T, by the papacy. Okay? Now, the quote goes on. It says, And all the people did say, Amen. A holy terror seized their souls. It was Antichrist whom they beheld seated on the pontifical throne. This new idea, which derived greater strength from the prophetic descriptions launched forth by Luther in the midst of his contemporaries, inflicted the most terrible blow on Rome. Actually, that was one of the reasons why a lot of folks became Protestants back then, is because of the teaching, because of the teach the, the correct teaching, the correct Bible study understanding of the papacy as the fulfillment of the antichrist well how could you be in the antichrist church then so obviously you could see how much of a problem this would cause for the roman catholic church now uh, let's take a look at john calvin he says this but to conclude this point in a few words i deny that see that's the holy see to be apostolical where not is seen by a shocking apostasy, I deny him to be the vicar of Christ who in furiously persecuting the gospel <coughs> demonstrates by his conduct that he is antichrist. I deny him to be the successor of Peter who is doing his utmost to demolish every edifice that Peter built. And I deny him to be that head of the church who by his tyranny lacerates and dismembers the church after dissevering her from Christ, her true and only head. In other words, taking the place of Christ, which is what the word anti really means. Like when you have anti-pasta, you have something in the place of pasta. Well, you have anti-Christ, you have something in the place of Jesus Christ's position, which John Calvin is referring to right there. Now that's from uh, John Calvin in his Tracts and Letters, Volume 1, page 219 and 220. 
another one from taken from the Institutes of the Christian Religion, a very popular work by John Calvin. He says this, Some persons think us too severe and censorious when we call the Roman pontiff Antichrist. But those who are of this opinion do not consider that they bring the same charge of presumption against Paul himself, <clears throat> after whom we speak and whose language we adopt. I shall briefly show that Paul's words in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 are not capable of any other interpretation than that which applies them to the papacy. Again, this is founded in the scriptures according to John Calvin. And John Calvin is no small fish. John Calvin was in Geneva, Switzerland. He is one of the reasons why uh, governments were set up, the separation of powers and checks and balances an understanding of, of uh, and, and challenge of the absolute rule of monarchies. All that, a lot of that teaching comes from John Calvin, and those teachings were implemented here in the United States by the founding fathers. So once again, he's not a moron. Okay, he he he's somebody who has studied studied this out. He he made a government uh, sort of republican if you will, that is a republic um, argument for government, which was adopted by the founding fathers. So when he makes an argument, again, about the papacy, he's founding it, once again, in the scriptures. Okay. Now, John Knox, the great Scottish reformer, he said this, Yea, to speak it in plain words, lest we submit ourselves to Satan, thinking that we submit ourselves to Jesus Christ. For, as for your Roman Kirk, at, as it is now corrupted, and the authority thereof, where, whereon stands the hope of your victory, I no more doubt that it is the synagogue of Satan, and the head thereof called the Pope, to be that man of sin whom the Apostle speaks. John Knox, The History of the Reformation of Religion, in Scotland, page 65. Now, taken from the Zurich Letters, page 199, again, John Knox, he stated this. Knox wrote to abolish, quote, that tyranny which the Pope himself has for so many ages exercised over the church and that the Pope should be recognized as, quote, the very Antichrist, the son of perdition of whom Paul speaks. Now, later on, another couple hundred years later, well, about a hundred years later or so, John Wesley, founder of the Methodist Church, he, they say that he rode over 250,000 miles on horseback to preach the word. He led a revival movement in England that brought people back to the Bible and the word of God as they had become, well, sort of lukewarm in it and in the whole process and somewhat corrupt really in the church itself and he brought back a revival a, a, an understanding of righteousness by faith and him and Charles Wesley they wrote uh, some hymns together Charles Wesley one of the the great hymns he's known for is and can it be well which is a very great hymn but in his explanatory notes on the New Testament, page 216, he stated this, The man of sin, the son of perdition, 
In many respects, the Pope has an undisputable claim to those titles. He is, in an emphatical sense, the man of sin, as he increases all manner of sin above measure. He is, too, properly styled the son of perdition, as he, is, he has caused the death of numberless multitudes, both of his opposers and followers, destroyed innumerable souls, and will himself perish everlastingly. He it is that opposes himself to the emperor, once his rightful sovereign, and that exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worshipped, commanding angels and putting kings under his feet, both of whom are called gods in scripture, claiming the highest power, the highest honor, suffering himself not only once, not, or not once only, to be styled God or vice-God. Indeed, no less is implied in his ordinary title, Most Holy Lord, or Most Holy Father, so that he sits enthroned in the temple of God, declaring himself that he is God, claiming the prerogatives which belong to God alone. And now what he's talking about there, about how the Pope uh, is very often styles himself as God himself, well, Throughout the Middle Ages, it was not uncommon if there was a letter or something or, or somebody was, was addressing the papacy that they would, they would address him as Lord God the Pope. All right, And there's many, many quotes where they claim the popes themselves throughout over the course of the thousand years of their reign um, where they claim to be God on earth. Uh, all the way up into modern times, this claim is made. Now, Thomas Cranmer of the Anglican Church in the Works by Cranmer, Volume 1, page 6 and 7, it says, Whereof it followeth Rome to be the seat of Antichrist, and the Pope to be very Antichrist himself. I could prove this. I could prove the same by many other scriptures, old writers, and strong reasons. Charles Spurgeon, called the Prince of Preachers, he stated this in all in the book All Roads Lead to Rome in 1991, uh, page 205. They're quoting Spurgeon here. It says, Popery is contrary to Christ's gospel, and it is the Antichrist, and we ought to pray against it. It should be daily the daily prayer of every believer that Antichrist might be hurled like a millstone into the flood of and for Christ, because his wound, it wounds Christ, because it robs Christ of his glory, because it puts sacramental efficacy in the place of his atonement and lifts a piece of bread into the place of the Savior and a few drops of water into the place of the Holy Ghost and puts a mere infallible man like ourselves up as the vicar of Christ on earth. If we pray against it, because it is against him, capital H there. We shall love the persons, though we hate their errors. We shall love their souls, though we loathe and detest their dogmas. So, there was a clear understanding here, right up into modern times. And I want to ask again. With such a widespread, prevalent view, all the way up into modern times, why is this never discussed in the mainstream media? in the mainstream theological areas why isn't it why isn't it claimed why isn't it discussed if it's something that can be defeated very easily uh, by a simple bible study then why isn't it done because this is a, at, at very at the bare minimum this is history 
this is history. Now, I have another quote here from Isaac Newton, you know, the father of Newtonian physics, on his observations on the prophecy of Daniel and the Apocalypse of St. John, page 49. He says this, By its eyes it was a seer, by its mouth speaking great things and changing times and laws. It was a prophet as well as a king. And such a seer, a prophet and a king, is the church of Rome. With his mouth he gives laws to kings and nations as an oracle, and pretends to infallibility, and that his dictates are binding to the whole world. Now, Isaac Newton was no idiot. Isaac Newton uh, was a genius. I mean, for lack of a better word, he was a genius. So once again, you're seeing a communion of thought here through these, really, these, these, these monumentous men of history. Now, one, a Puritan reformer who helped set up Providence, Rhode Island, his name was Roger Williams. When he was speaking of the, of the Pope, he said this, and this is uh, part of uh, Leroy Froome's book, The Prophetic Faith of Our Fathers, volume 3, page 52, where he quotes this. And this is Roger Williams speaking. The pretended vicar of Christ on earth who sits as God over the temple of God, exalting himself not only above all that is called God, but over the souls and the consciences of all his vassals, yea, over the spirit of Christ, over the Holy Spirit, yea, and God himself speaking against the God of heaven, thinking to change times and laws, but he is the son of perdition. So in no uncertain terms. And you got to understand that to go against the teachings and dogmas of the Pope you would be deemed, in those days, you'd be deemed a heretic. You could be burned at the stake. William Tyndale uh, was killed because he didn't submit himself to the authority of the Pope. He was bringing, he translated the Bible into the English language and was bringing them to the people there. That was why he was killed. And there's many others throughout history that were killed simply because they upheld the Word of God as the final authority over the word and traditions of the Pope, the Cardinals, and the Roman Catholic Church hierarchy. Um, from the book by Philip Schaff, The Creeds of Christendom, with a history and critical notes, volume 3, page 658 and 659, chapter 25, section 6, the Westminster Confession is stated, it says, there is no other head of the church but the Lord Jesus Christ, nor can the, the Pope of Rome in any sense be head thereof, but is that Antichrist, that man of sin and son of perdition that exalteth himself and ch in the church against Christ and all that is called God. All that is called God. So folks, and you got to remember the Westminster Confession of Faith that confession of faith that was that was uh, that was article 25 there of their confession of faith this was ratified by the english parliament in 1646 and it was accepted without amendment uh, by the scottish churches in 1647 the 1689 baptist confession of faith states something similar but keep in mind this was so important to the country of england at the time that that the Westminster Confession of Faith which included that the Pope was the Antichrist 
was ratified, that it was approved, it was read over and approved by the parliament, by the government. It was ratified by the English parliament at that time. So it, it was that important. Now, are all these are all these based on unfounded beliefs and bigotry? Of course not. Of course not. Now, what do most people believe today about the Antichrist? Most people believe that the Antichrist is, whether they even believe he exists or not at all, you know, um, for those who do believe that he exists or will exist, most people believe that he is already he either came in the past, either in Antiochus the Fourth or or Emperor Nero. That's typically what you hear. Or that he is fulfilled uh, some guy in the future or some individual, some world leader in the future. But that's not the understanding of all the reformers. Cotton Mather was another. Um, I have another quote here from All Roads Lead to Rome, again, on page 205. It says, Wycliffe, Tyndale, Luther, Calvin, Cranmer in the 17th century, Bunyan, the translator of the King James Bible, and the men who published the Westminster and Baptist Confessions of Faith, Sir Isaac Newton, Wesley, Whitfield, Jonathan Edwards, and more recently Spurgeon, Bishop R.C. Ryle, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. These men, among countless others, all saw the office of the papacy as the Antichrist. Actually, in the colonies... Governor John Winthrop, in his reasons for emigrating to New England, in, in 1631 he wrote this letter, uh, reasons for emigrating to New England, in his very first point, reason number one, in other words, he stated this, it will be a service to the church of great consequence to carry the gospel into those parts of the world to help on the coming of the fullness of the Gentiles and to raise a bulwark against the kingdom of Antichrist, which the Jesuits labor to rear up in those parts. So amazing, the kingdom of Antichrist, which the Jesuits labor to rear up. The Jesuits are a monk order of the Roman Catholic Church, specifically a monk order that was entrusted with something called the Counter-Reformation. They were in charge of uh, in other words, defeating the Reformation and bringing all the churches, all the Christian believers, back under the yoke of Rome. And the Jesuits, they are involved. Fauci himself was raised uh, in, up in Jesuit schools. He, he went to uh, Holy Cross when he was in college. That's a Jesuit University. There is other Jesuit universe. There's a Jesuit school that he came up in, a Jesuit high school. I forgot the name. But these are the individuals. I, I think I heard something like 10% of the of our Congress in the United States are alumni of Jesuit institutions. So you have counter-reformationists, if you will, that are in and throughout our government today the kings and the merchants of the earth they're all working together with this COVID-19 thing and who are they really working for well according to the Bible according to according to these geniuses they are working for the mother harlot which is none other than the papacy and the Roman Catholic Church system and now the belief system that 
that the Antichrist was fulfilled in the past and the belief system that the Antichrist will be fulfilled in the future. Where does that come from? Well, interestingly enough, that comes from the Jesuits. <laughs> the Jesuits themselves, that Roman Catholic order. A Jesuit by the name of Louis de Alcazar came up with preterism. That's the belief that the Antichrist power was fulfilled in the past. And Francisco Ribera was a Jesuit monk who taught futurism, which is the belief system that the Antichrist will be fulfilled in the future instead of right now, which is what the Bible teaches, the historicist view. That's The historicist view is the reading of the Bible uh, essentially as it reads. Instead of taking things to say, oh, this is going to mean something in the way past in the future and taking things out of context, that's done by the Jesuits. So interestingly enough, those who are responsible, responsible for the Counter-Reformation came up with the two, with the two belief systems, the two understandings of prophecy, which have now have been the most widely accepted in the world today, and almost nobody talks or teaches that the papacy is the Antichrist. Interesting, interesting. And interesting also that all these individuals, Sir Isaac Newton, Governor John Winthrop, uh, Martin Luther, and John Wesley, and and there's so many others, Samuel Morse, of the, uh, who created Morse code and the telegraph. There's so many others. They all understood this. They all understood this, that the papacy was the fulfillment of the great whore of Babylon. And it makes sense because symbolically speaking, a harlot... A woman in Bible prophecy is a church, just like there's the bride of Christ, right? The church is the bride of Christ. Well, a harlot or someone who is uh, an unfaithful woman, right? That would be a church which doesn't follow the teachings of Jesus. Well, who else fulfills that than, than the Roman Catholic Church who rejects the authority of Scripture, So you have the Dark Ages, the Middle Ages, where the papacy is in control. And then you have the Reformation. And the Reformation leads to the free world. It leads to innovation. All the technologies and things that we have today, those are all fruits of free thinking and the Reformation. So looks like we're out of time. We went a little bit over time today, but uh, I think it was an important topic. Um, so we will catch you next time. And uh, we'll be right here on Truth Triumphant Radio. I've been your host, Cody Mori. Thank you so much for joining us today. And we will see you next time.